Welcome to Pillar of Truth. Our series is called How to Be a Faithful Steward. As you'll hear today, stewardship is about so much more than just how we handle our money. One of the most important aspects of our stewardship has to do with how we relate to the body of Christ. The New Testament is crystal clear that God does not save people merely so that they can have an individual relationship with them. He saves people to be a part of the church. And he gives them gifts, talents, and time for ministry primarily in the specific local church that they belong to. He expects us to be good stewards of our lives by giving of ourselves to the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses a metaphor comparing Christians to part of a body. There's an expectation that each individual part of the body will do the job that God created it to do. An ear has been gifted by God to do something very different than an eye. And if one part were to refuse to do its part, the whole body suffers. Then the part that is not working is being unfaithful to the one who created it for that specific task. Every Christian has been saved by God and been given gifts by God in order to be a blessing to the church. That means that even if we spend lots of our time listening to good sermons on the internet or the radio, lots of time reading and studying scripture, but we're not involved in a local church where we are regularly, faithfully serving the rest of the body with our time, gifts, and resources, then we are not faithful. It doesn't matter how we might feel. We are not being good stewards. Well, let's listen to these principles today and determine to be counted faithful as stewards. Look at Luke 12, starting in verse 41, and I'll read through verse 48. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable, the one he just told, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So we can discern here in Jesus' answer he wants Peter to see that all believers, all Christians, are in the scope of this text. All believers serve in the sphere of their stewardship. They serve the household of faith as their special charge, as the great privilege and responsibility that's theirs. This is a blessed stewardship that we have as Christians, isn't it? I believe, though, we can narrow this even further, dial it in even tighter. I think Jesus has the apostles in mind here, in specific, yet 
It's not to the exclusion of all disciples, it's just to the emphasis and the lifting up of the apostles. Christ has built his church on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Ephesians 2.20. Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone and that foundation that's been provided for the church to be built upon is a foundation of truth, the word of God. Now that the ministry of the New Testament apostles and prophets has been completed, now that it's come to an end, which it came to an end in the first century, in the completed canon of Scripture, when the Apostle John put down his pen, Revelation 22, that sphere of responsibility, the stewardship of feeding the household, falls to, Ephesians 4.11, other men who are gifted there, the evangelists and pastors and teachers. They're listed alongside the apostles and prophets. The evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they're the ones who continue that apostolic ministry. And that's why Jesus answers as he does. If we're going to understand the heart of our Lord, if we're going to serve him well, if we're going to fulfill our own stewardship in the household of God, we need to understand what makes our Lord tick. He has a heart to care for his people. He loves them, and he wants to make sure his sheep are well fed, that they're properly cared for, that they're lovingly attended to. To have his flock under his care, to feed and care for the sheep that Jesus died to save, what a tremendous privilege. And beloved, that privilege has come to us. It's plain and simple as that. You don't have to be a pastor or an elder to serve that task to make sure the sheep are well-fed. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, all of us are to be equipped by the pastors and teachers and evangelists. We're, we're to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. And that work of the ministry is all about growing to maturity in the Word of God. The Word of God would saturate our lives, saturate our hearts. There's so much to do, so much to proclaim, such goodness of our Lord to proclaim. And that's what we want to do, is take the gifts that he's given and use them according to their design, according to their intended purpose, to convey to us God's goodness so that we can be conduits of God's goodness to other people, all for the purpose of bringing glory to God in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we get to do. That's our stewardship. It's fantastic. So how do we know if we're doing that well? How do we measure ourselves? What is the standard? We've seen the scope and sphere of our stewardship. Let's look at a third point. The standard of Christ's judgment. The standard of Christ's judgment. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, looking at verse 42 again, who then, who therefore is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant. What servant is blessed? The one who is faithful and wise. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing. So it's not just thinking thoughts of faithfulness. It's putting into practice, right? Blessed is the one who not only hears, but does the word. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Two aspects of stewardship here. The standard that Christ is going to use to judge our stewardship, first, it's our character, and second, it's our works. Our character and our works. When judging our stewardship, Christ examines our character and our works. So you can't be somebody who says, you know what, I'm brimming with character, even though I do nothing. Well, let people discover that by doing something. And you can't be someone who works, 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 but your character is deplorable. And everything you do causes more problems. You can't be that person either. 
Both things go together. Character and works, that's how Christ judges our stewardship. First, notice matters pertaining to character. They're virtues, faithfulness and wisdom. Faithfulness here is described someone who is characterized by constancy. It's someone who is reliable, dependable, someone who is worthy of trust. So you could use the word trustworthy. It's really important, isn't it, to be dependable, faithful, reliable when it comes to feeding people food. The one who appoints you to feed others and those who need to be fed, they are alike very fond of those who attend to that duty with faithfulness and regularity. A mom who prepares one grand eight-course meal for her family once every six months, not so good, right? You need that mom who's constant in the kitchen, just taking care of the kids, taking care. I know it's sometimes just PB&J and bananas, and sometimes it's ramen. But listen, regularity, faithfulness in feeding That's what's more important than grand once in a while. Wisdom. Wisdom is the word phronimos. It's related to the verb phroneo. Phroneo means to think, to understand, to ponder. It's about a quality of the thought life. It's thoughtfulness that comes from studied insight. So you might call it applied intelligence. The skillful use of knowledge, wisdom, which is prudence, which is sensibility, Again, a very important quality when combined with faithfulness. Because whoever is assigned to feed and care for the rest of the household servants needs to use both things when it comes to feeding. These virtues go together, faithfulness and wisdom in the stewardship. Both are required to fulfill our stewardship that the Lord has given us, namely to give food to household slaves at the proper time. Every faithful mother knows there's no glory in this. There are no accolades coming for faithful peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. In the faithful wise feeding of a family, there's no one there to put her on, you know, some magazine, number one woman of of the year. Every faithful pastor knows this too, as well as every faithful Christian, many of whom work behind the scenes, no one seeing what they do except Christ, serving the word of the flock. There's no glory in it, no prominence to be gained, just a lot of hard, faithful work, wise work. To feed others faithfully requires a commitment to faithfulness as a, as a virtue that pleases the Lord. Faithfulness is required to tend to a rather mundane and monotonous task. There's no glory or prestige in feeding, 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 feeding. Faithfulness is required to tend to a never-ending task. I mean, feeding your family, it seems to have no end. Like laundry, no end. Where do all these dirty clothes come from? Didn't I just do this load of laundry? Only when people die, they have no longer have a need for food, right? That's not a very cheery thought. Huh, I can stop feeding my kids when they're dead. No, that's not how you think. I got to eat multiple times a day. I kind of require it, depend on it. Faithfulness is required to tend to important vital tasks though, right? Knowing the feeding of hungry children, or in this case, hungry slaves, or in our case, a hungry church. It's a will of a good kind-hearted master. That's faithfulness. Wisdom is required for our stewardship too. To feed any sized household, particularly larger households, wisdom is required to feed a family, to feed a church in a way that pleases the Lord. Wisdom required for thoughtful scheduling. Note, to give them their portion when? At the proper time. Not whenever you feel like it. At the proper time. So wisdom's required for that. Wisdom's required for the logistics, for the planning, for the shopping, 
Make sure the family or the slaves, even when they come in for the food, that they stay the most productive, that the slaves file in at certain meal times so they can get back out and do the master's work. So everything remains efficient, productive. Wisdom is required for proper nutrition, making sure slaves are well-fed, they're healthy, they're strong for their tasks, that they're not undernourished or malnourished in some way. There's proper meal planning required, preparation, shopping, all that to ensure that the master's resources are not squandered in laziness or frivolity or foolishness. It's hard work, isn't it? The standard by which Christ will judge our stewardship, when it comes to our character, it's the virtues of faithfulness and wisdom. Notice those two virtues produce the fruit of good works. Verse 43, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing or doing thus when he comes. What are they doing? Faithfully, wisely feeding the household, tending to their needs as good shepherds. Faithful shepherds are like faithful moms. They're always at it. They're always feeding sheep. And so they're always dirty, aren't they? Right? They're getting their hands dirty. They're in it. They're wise. They're skillfully applying the truth to the sheep. They're not just taking a one-size-fits-all approach to all the different kinds of sheep and all the different kinds of needs. They tend to specific needs in specific ways. Just as a mom knows every single one of her children is different, she tailors her counsel, tailors her correction to each one individually with care and wisdom. Same thing as us in the church as stewards here. These are the works that Paul had in mind when he was thinking about the coming judgment of Christ over his apostolic leadership and stewardship and over all of our stewardship in 2 Corinthians 5.10. He said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. You can translate the word evil as worthless, whether good or phallos, worthless. He's thinking, the things I've done in the body, with this body, with this life that I have, have I been faithful in feeding the flock? Have I been wise in tending to the flock? Boy, there's such wisdom here. And Jesus answered to Peter, the standard of judgment for our stewardship, it's not at all related, is it, to status or title or position or wealth or intellect or power? It's not related to any of that stuff. Since it's about faithfulness, since it's about wisdom and applying God's word carefully, listen, this is a one-size-fits-all standard of judgment. We've seen the scope and standard of our stewardship. We've seen the sphere of Christ's judgment. Fourthly, the specter, the specter of Christ's judgment. Those of you who hear the word specter and think I'm talking about a ghost or an apparition, that is one meaning of the word specter, but there's another meaning, and that's the one I'm using here. The word specter is from the Latin spectrum, which is formed from a Latin verb, specere. Specere means to look at, to regard, and so the noun spectrum means What you look at, it refers to an appearance of something. That's what I'm interested in here. The specter of Christ's judgment is when it appears, when it comes. For faithful Christians, that is a time of great, great reward, of joyful reunion with Christ, of remuneration from Christ and reward from Christ because of faithfulness and a job well done. Verse 43 Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Another beatitude from our Lord. Once again, I mean, isn't that a bit grand for the likes of little old me? That's why Jesus has introduced this beatitude with that familiar refrain. Truly, I say to you, truly, 
He says, same thing back in verse 37. Truly, I say to you. He's asserting in the strongest way possible, even placing an oath on himself to speak truth. This is veracity. This is surety of his promise. I'm telling you, this is happening. Those servants who are ready, waiting, watchful when he returns, verse 37, Jesus promised them a joyful reunion, close and intimate fellowship with himself. You notice the reward fits their expectation. The reward fits their heart's desire. They long for him, and so what do they get? All of him. For those stewards who are faithful and wise in their stewardship, their reward fits their work as well. Verse 44, when he returns, having performed a faithful and wise stewardship, when he returns, Jesus promises them even greater responsibility, even higher stewardship, more honor, higher privilege than they had before. He'll set them over all of his possessions. Any Bible student is reminded of Joseph's position of prominence in Egypt, set over all Pharaoh's possessions. Pharaoh said, you shall be over all my house, over all, and all my people shall order themselves as you command, Joseph. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said, Joseph, over all the land of Egypt, he put his own signet ring on Joseph. That's authority, that's power to get things done. He clothed him in royal robes. He adorned him with golden jewelry. He bestowed honor and glory upon Joseph, set him over the land of Egypt and said to Joseph, I'm Pharaoh, but without your consent, no one lifts a hand or a foot in all of Egypt. That's the picture here. Not word for word, not thought for thought, but that's the picture that Jesus just put into the minds of his 12 apostles and ours too. Later in Luke 22, when we get there, we'll see this in verse 28 to 30. Jesus said to the 12, he said, you are those who stayed with me in my trials. That is to say they've been faithful, loyal. You are those who've, been, who've stayed with me in my trials and I assigned to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. That's the rejoicing and table fellowship part. And sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's the reward of stewardship part. And the promise there is not only to the apostles because Christ rewards faithfulness and endurance as, as principled paramount virtues for his stewards. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Turn over to Matthew's gospel just briefly. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28 to 29, Jesus extends the promise from the 12, he extends it in kind to other believers as well. He says, truly, there it is, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's for the 12. And then, verse 29, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Look, even though we Christians, us believers in the church age, we're not going to ascend these same thrones that are assigned to the Lord's 12 apostles, but we will occupy, see if you can get there quickly, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, just so you can see that for yourself, but see that we're going to occupy a place of judgment as well in Christ's future economy. 
Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? He's saying this to the church. Believers in the church age, don't you know that believers, saints will judge the world? If the world's to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? In other words, don't go to law with a believer when you have a church. Do you not know that we're to judge angels, verse 3? We're to judge angels. I can't even fathom that. I can't even imagine that. I can't even picture what in the world am I going to be saying to an angel? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Like the highest court in the land shouldn't be the Supreme Court. In a sense, it ought to be the church, right? Don't believers have wisdom from God? Don't believers have a book of judgments, of laws, of case law, of everything in the scripture? Why is it we treat the church with such mean judgment? as to think it can't adjudicate its own matters, its own affairs. We have no idea, do we, what's in store for us in the end. But knowing the character of the Lord and what we've seen already, we can trust that whatever this is going to look like, it is going to be good. It's going to be worth waiting for. It is worth delayed gratification. Jesus doesn't throw around this term makarios, blessedness, lightly casually. He doesn't make solemn oaths in a flippant way. Truly, I say to you, it's very serious about giving us every encouragement to stay ready and waiting and watchful and faithful in the stewardship that he's given to us. Listen, if we attend to the scope and the sphere of our stewardship with an eye to Christ, the standard of Christ's judgment of our stewardship, encouraged along by this magnificent promise of makarios, of blessing, of blessedness. I mean, being granted the unimaginable honor of an even greater, more glorious stewardship in the life to come. Listen, we cannot fail to find every incentive here, every good and godly enticement to invest well now, being faithful, wise managers who exercise our stewardship of the gospel and of this church with shepherding concern. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 to 5, he said, let others regard us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God, such a high and holy privilege. May we be found faithful, always faithful. So when the Lord comes, as he brings to light things that are now hidden in darkness, and as he discloses the purposes of the heart, then each one of us will receive his commendation from God. Did you catch that? Not condemnation. There is therefore in Christ no condemnation, right? Romans 8.1, no condemnation. Rather, for our stewardship, each one will receive his commendation from God. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful for the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. What wisdom and insight and carefulness that he keeps us encouraged, incentivized in our stewardship. There may be many today who have never really thought very carefully about this matter of stewardship, that their life and their, their, their energy and their time, their breath, even their thoughts are stewardship exercised toward you, that they will one day give an account to Christ how little we think of that and how often we ought to. 
So we pray, Father, that in the name of Jesus Christ, for your sake, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would grant us that gift, that we would think much of Christ, that we would fix our eyes on him, that we would love him and long for his return, for the fellowship of his company, and that you would help us to rejoice in doing his will, to feed and care for the flock that you've given us. This is our stewardship. This is our charge. Christ commissioned us to make disciples, to evangelize, to teach. That's our charge. What a joy we have. I mean, even our, even our work life is, it pales in comparison to that stewardship that you've given us here in the church. And we just ask that you would Keep us faithful. Help us to be wiser still as we study the word and grow in maturity. Help us to rejoice doing this together, partnering together for the sake of the gospel, step by step with one another in lockstep of one mind, in one heart, in one spirit, in full unity, depth of doctrine, and great harmony and joy. Please make that the signal of this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Indeed, let us all fix our eyes on God, anticipate Jesus' return, and wisely steward that which God has given us. If you have questions from today, please feel free to contact us by email at letters at pillaroftruthradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to meeting with you again next time here on Pillar of Truth.